And so this evening, as we come and look at the life of Noah, um, it's, it's quite an incredible life, I think, really. I think we can be very familiar with it, and this is certainly for myself. I can be so familiar with this story of Noah that you, you read through the, the couple of chapters and then you move on, and it's, oh yeah, I know that story. That's the man that built that ark, and he took those animals in there, and off he went. But actually, it's an incredible, incredible account. And um, there's many challenges in the life of Noah, and we'll come and look at those in just a moment. But shall we pray before we do? Our Father in heaven, we pray that as we come and as we look at your word now, that our hearts might be submissive to you. We've just sung a hymn where we've said that we want to give everything of ourselves to you, our life, our time, because of what you've given for us. Thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ gave his own life so that we might have life. And so we pray that as we spend some time now this evening, help us to see, in the light of what Christ has done for us, how we should live for you. And may we learn from the life of Noah. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you're the type of person that when you switch on the news or open the paper and you start reading through and you become discouraged... Uh, some people like that, aren't they? You know, oh, no, have you seen what's happening here? Oh, no, have you seen what's happening there? And yet, to be fair, we look around the world and there are lots of things where we think, oh, no, look at that. Oh, dear, how can that be acceptable? How can that be allowed? And it seems that um, there's ungodliness all around us and there's, there's things that are so wrong and repulsive in God's sight and it just seems to be accepted around us and that's how people live and... And you can see whether it's knife crime going up here or whether it's that or whether it's the other or whether it's... We just live in a society that's, that's ill, that's sick spiritually, don't we? Well, this is the type of life that Noah, the type of world that Noah was living in. Um, in verse 11 of chapter 6, it says, The earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. This is what God saw. When God looked at this world, he saw this corrupt world filled with violence. Bad place, wasn't it? Uh, Look in verse 5. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It wasn't just the thought of his heart that was bad. It was the intention of the thought of the heart was bad. God could see right down into the core and he could see it's rotten, sinful. And uh, how does God feel? He's grieved, isn't he? And he's hurt. And so in verse 6, we read those words, and the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. Wow. This is God as he looks down. And he regrets that he's made man, and his heart is grieved. I wonder when we look around. Sometimes I think we can become so, um, so uh, inoculated to some of the stuff that we don't appreciate the full rottenness of the world in which we live. Uh, because some things are just so imbibed in our society, in our culture, um, we can almost become, well... Well, that happens, doesn't it? I mean, well, sadly it happens, but I mean, what can we do? 
And here is God, and he looks down, and he sees all that's going on, and, and he's grieved in his heart. And it's in that situation that Noah's living. And here is Noah, this man who we know is a righteous man who loves God, and here he is. Now, you may be tempted to think, well, Noah, it must have been tough for him, but can't have been quite as tough as we have it now. I mean, they didn't have all the technology that we have now. We didn't have the internet. They didn't have TVs. The internet's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, a whole load of good has come out of the internet. But on the flip side, a whole load of bad has come out of the internet. Don't you agree? And we say, we live in this society now and there's, there's advertisement everywhere and you've got all these things bombarding us. I mean, it must have been a bit easier for Noah, surely. And yet we sit here. How many of us here this evening? We sit And who did Noah have? Noah and his three sons and their wives and his wife were the only ones that went to that ark. Just imagine the isolation that Noah must have had in the whole world. And he was and his family were the only ones that were saved. Wow. So if we think we have it tough, think what it must have been like for Noah living then. So let's just have a little look and see. How did Noah manage to live a godly life in a completely godless generation. How did he manage to do it? And I've just got a few points to bring out. So let's look in verse 9 of chapter 6. It says, This is the genealogy, or this is the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. Just stop there. Noah was a righteous man. Go down to chapter 7, verse 1. And it says there, uh, then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Wow. Here is Noah. He is described as a righteous man. I think to understand how Noah could manage to live an upright life, you need to understand the foundation on which he's standing. God looks at Noah and he declares Noah a righteous man. Was Noah sinless? No, he wasn't, was he? And yet Noah was righteous in God's sight. That righteousness can't have come from his own works, can it? Because works can never make you righteous in God's sight. In verse 8, we find a clue there. We see... But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. Other versions say, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, have you heard that before? Here is a man who is in God's sight. God says, this man is righteous. But Noah is somebody who's finding favour in God's sight. Somebody who's finding grace in God's sight. You could flip over to that well-known chapter in Hebrews, chapter 11. And you know where it goes through those, those men and women of faith? And there's a little account there of Noah. And in verse 7, it says that he became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. So here is Noah, somebody who God says, this man is righteous. Somebody who God is being gracious to, who he's shown his favor to. And Noah is somebody who has faith in God. So here we see, here's Noah. His standing with God is, is right. 
Because God has declared this man a righteous man. So, so first of all, you see that Noah could walk rightly in his generation because God had said that Noah was righteous. He declared him righteous. He said that he was a righteous man. And so that was his standing before God. Noah was a righteous man. If you keep reading in verse 9, it says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. So, so being righteous relates to his relationship with God. He was just in God's sight. He was declared righteous in God's sight. Being blameless in his generation, that, that relates to how he related with other people, his standing before other people. Being blameless doesn't mean that he was sinless. Rather, it has the idea of being, or, or having integrity, having a wholeness, being unblemished. And so here is Noah. It says here that he was blameless in his generation. He's standing before other people. They couldn't put the, point their finger and say, oh, well, look at it. He lived an upright life before them. He had this integrity in his life. Don't you think Noah must have really stood out like a sore thumb? We read the description of what the world was like. You know, every intention of the thought of their heart was wicked and there was so much violence. And then you have this man, Noah, who's righteous, who's walking with a blameless life before others. And he must have stood out a mile, wasn't he? It's interesting. Sometimes you meet people that say, well, I'm a Christian. So what they're saying is, my standing with God is right. But then as you get to know them, you see that their life doesn't show any difference. They're not blameless like Noah was in their generation. There's no change. It's just words, but there's no, nothing shows in their life they're different. In James we read that faith without works is dead. Basically saying, you know, if, if you really have a true relationship with God, it's going to change your life. Because if anyone is in Christ, here's a, you know the verse, don't you? New creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. So here is Noah. He's, he's right with God. And that can't but help show out. I have an old Skoda that um, is getting older every day. <laughs> it's funny, that, isn't it? Most things get older most days, don't they? Well, here's my old Skoda, and it's in my drive, and um, I drive it over to work, and when people get in this car, it's, it's a bit creaky. Um, I'm not completely sure what the creakiness is. I'm not sure if it's the suspension or if it's something to do with the engine mount, but it's creaky, and it's a bit jolty, and it's not just my driving. It is the car. And uh, on my next-door neighbour's drive, they have um, some Mercedes, um, a convertible Mercedes and it's something like a, a three litre twin turbo I asked him the details a little while ago and when he starts up his car there's this nice deep rumble as he then pulls out onto the road and off he goes when I start my little Skoda there's a nice high tinny rattle <laughs> just imagine if one night I went out and I got my neighbour's engine from his Mercedes and swapped it with my Skoda and put it in my Skoda. Okay, it probably wouldn't fit. My bonnet's not long enough. But imagine I could do that and I could put it in. The next morning, you wake up. You don't know I've done this. But you wake up. 
You see me going to work in the morning. You see me get in the car, and you think, oh, there he is. He's in his old clapped-out Skoda. Off he goes to work. It might not look any different on the outside, but as soon as I start that engine, he would know something's different. As soon as I drive it off the drive and down the road, you'd know something's different by the way it drove. Why? Because there's a change on the inside that can't be hidden. Shouldn't that be like a Christian? Here is Noah. He's changed. He can't hide it. He can't keep it in. And so here he is. He's described as someone who is perfect, blameless, upright in his generation. I wonder when people look at our own lives, what do they see? Do they see that our life is different? When you have passengers in your car and someone cuts you up, how do you respond? Do they see that you're different? Do they see that you are a new creation? When you've been deeply hurt and someone comes and apologizes, do they see that you forgive? Do they see that you're generous, that you're loving, that you're thankful? Do they see that you don't gossip and talk someone else down? Do they see that you're self-controlled? And, and the list could go on, couldn't it? They, they should be seeing these things because if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Do they see that in you? Do they see that in me? That's what they saw in Noah. A man who was righteous and blameless in his generation. So here's Noah. He's righteous. That's his standing with God. He's blameless, that's, that's his standing with other people. And then we read, let's just read verse 9 again. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Isn't that a lovely phrase? Noah was known as somebody as a man who walked with God. Years ago, um, my granddad was born in Wales, in the Rhondda Valley. Uh, and at 14, he finished school... Um, and went to visit his sister, his older sister, in London during the summer holidays. And he stayed and never went back. And when he was there in London, um, the church he went to, there was, there was a man that took him under his wing and helped him. And he grew as a Christian with the help of this man. When I was a little boy, this, this man that helped my granddad was, <coughs> was, an, was an old man, but a very a big character, although he was only very little. I remember him one time... Um, all us children were there lined up. And, and he said, uh, he stood and he, and he put one foot in front of the other and he was wobbling all over the place. Uh, and we're looking on as children thinking, what's, what's happening here? And then he puts another foot in front of that and he's still wobbling all over the place. And we're thinking, and you know, it's like as children, someone's clowning around and you're finding it funny. And he says, what is this? And we're like, wow, well, we don't have a clue, what is this? And then he says, It's walking. And we all collapsed as children. But in a simple way, what is walking? When you put one foot in front of the other, that's all he was doing. But what is it to walk with God? We see here that Noah was somebody who walked with God. A step by step, one step of faith, another step of faith, another step of faith. 
leads to a daily, ongoing walk. Here is Noah. He knew God. He communed with God. He delighted in God. This regular, daily, ongoing, step at a time, step by step by step. Do you ever think in your Christian life, oh, if I could just be transported to here in my spirituality, if I could somehow do this big jump, that'd be great, wouldn't it? You know, just and my, my Christian life kind of goes boom, boom, boom. But that's not the reality often of what we find, is it? The reality is that we take a step after a step after a step after a step after a step. Doing the little things. Just doing them regularly, daily. Each day just meeting with the Lord, reading his word, spending time praying to him, relying on him day by day by day. Here is Noah, somebody who walked with God. It's interesting actually to see a little study, and we haven't got time to look into this. You can do this yourselves. But to see how we are to walk, uh, how we are to walk. See, Noah, someone who walked with God, but how do we walk? So in Ephesians, you can see that we are to walk in love. Um, we're to walk as children of light. We're to walk circumspectly or carefully. In Galatians, we're told that we should walk in the Spirit. This is how we're to walk. And here was Noah, somebody who walked with God. That ongoing, daily, regular, close fellowship with the Lord. So Noah, he walked with God. And because he walked with God, how did that affect his life? How did he relate to the Lord? Well, you can see that Noah was somebody who was obedient to God. Do you remember thinking of, he stood out, didn't he? He was someone who was different. He wasn't the same as everyone else around him. He was obedient to God. Look at chapter 6, verse 22. God tells Noah to build the ark. And then in verse 22, we read, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Now, we kind of, it just seems very matter of fact. God says, build this ark. And Noah, Noah does it. It just does it. Everything that God said... He just did. Look at um, chapter 7, verse 5. Uh, and it says there, um, Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. And chapter 8, verse 18. Um, and it says there, So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife, and his sons' wives with him. That's when God said he'd go out. Um, you can see that Noah was just obedient in all that God tells him to do. Now we read it and we know the story and we know the flood's coming and we see it all and we say, well, that's good that Noah built that and it's good that he's obedient and yeah, we just did it. But put yourself in Noah's shoes. Noah's not living by the sea. He's not living in a fishing community. Here is Noah, miles away from the sea. And God says to build this boat. He doesn't just build a little rowing boat. He builds this huge thing. Can you imagine what people were saying to him? No, you're crazy. You've lost it. What are you doing? God, going to judge this world. Floods, going to cover everything. What does Noah do? Well, well, maybe it is a bit stupid. Well, uh, okay. No, he keeps going and he builds the ark. We read it and we see 
everything God told him to do, Noah did. It wasn't like it took him one day. You can see, actually, from when God first spoke to Noah about building the ark to when the flood waters came, it was 120 years. How long Noah was building that ark out of that 120 years, I'm not sure. It might have been the majority of that time. But Noah was obedient to God. Do you ever find that you know there's something you should do? And it's on your to-do list. But you never quite get around to doing it. In the sense of that you know there's something that you know you should be obedient to God in. And I will do it at some stage. And I know I need to kind of knuckle down on that issue and just sort that out. But, well, I'll do that tomorrow. I remember sitting in church, this was a number of years ago, and there was a man speaking in the front. And in front of me, there was this, um, this little girl and her mum. And the guy and the man were speaking about procrastinating and procrastination. And this little girl turns to her mum and says, Mum, what does procrastination mean? And her mum says to her, Shh, I'll tell you later. <laughs> Which is kind of procrastinating, isn't it? <laughs> but we can be like that, can't we? And we think, oh, I know I should... I know God is pointing this issue out in my life and I should do it, but we don't. For some reason, we kind of put it off. Um, I remember, I, I went to the dentist uh, before I was married. And then um, I got married. And then after a few years, I was thinking, oh, I haven't been to the dentist. I should go to the dentist sometime. And then uh, I think, oh, I really should go to the dentist. It's not that I'm afraid to go to the dentist. It's just that, well, the dentist is expensive, isn't it? You know, and so I thought, well, I'll go at some point. And then I kept thinking, oh, I haven't been. And then five years go by, and then six years go by, and then there's about eight years go by. And then I think, okay, no, I really must go to the dentist. You know, people are saying, you should go to the dentist for a regular... T- okay, I really must go to the dentist. And I decided in my mind, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to book an appointment, I'm just going to go. And I... It's strange. In my mind, I just ticked it off. I, I've, I've done that, okay? And I settled in myself, I'm going to go, and I just put the appointment, just pay the money, and I'll go. And because I ticked it off in my mind, it was almost as if I'd done it. And so guess what I did? <laughs> I did nothing. I didn't go. And I only went last year, after about 10 years of seeing the dentist. But in my mind, I said, well, okay, I will do it. And so I could tick it off. Are we ever like that with obeying God? Oh, I know there's something I should do, but oh, we'll do. I was away this week, at the beginning of this week, at a conference, and we had a question time there. And um, one of the questions that they asked the panel was, looking back over your life of ministry, what would you go back and change if you could redo it? And it was quite interesting hearing their answers. In hindsight, if I knew, knew then what I knew now, this is what I would change. Um, and it was interesting to hear what, how they would change what they have done and what they would do differently. And I was thinking, hey, I wonder, that's, that's an interesting question. I should ask that to myself. Rather than wait till I get to somewhere further down the road, why don't I ask myself that question? Looking back over the life that I've currently had, um, if I could go back and rechange and do differently what I've done so far, what would I do? And the thought came to me, yeah. Why don't you do that and say, well, if that's what you would change, do it and change it and go forward changed. That's been a challenge to me. The question is, will I do it? (laughs) Will I actually sit down and take the time to do it? But here's Noah. God says, build this ark and he's obedient and he does it. 
Isn't that wonderful? But I wonder, what was the motivation? How did he manage to obey in such a, such a full, full way? In Hebrews chapter 11, do you remember I said about Hebrews earlier? Let me read the full verse to you. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, it says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is God into faith. So why did Noah obey? How could Noah be so obedient amongst such opposition? It says here that he was divinely warned of things not yet seen, was moved with godly fear. He had a fear, a godly fear, a reverence of God. And because of that, he obeyed. To him, judgment was a reality. God had said, I'm going to bring this flood on the earth. And all life is going to die. And what does he say? I believe you. I fear you. I reverence you. And I'm moved with godly fear. And I will build that ark. How could he be so obedient? Because his view of God was correct. His reverence for God was correct. That's not just all. So we see that he was moved with godly fear. But we also see he's gripped, not by the present, but by the future. So God says, I'm bringing this flood and I'm going to destroy all life on this earth. And Noah grasped that. He realized that judgment was coming. And so he lived his life now in the reality of what's coming then. You know what it's like when you've got an exam. <laughs> I don't know if this is a good example or not. You know you've got an exam coming up and you know what you should do. You should revise because there's this date coming when you have to go into a hall and you have to sit down, you have to do this exam. And so that affects the way that you behave, or maybe it should affect the way that you behave, and you think, okay, I'm going to knuckle down and do some revision. You do the revision, why? Because you know there's a date coming when you've got an exam. Here is Noah. He knows that judgment is coming. And so he has his eyes fixed on what God has told him about the future. And that changes the way that he lives in the present. Interesting, I was reading through, um, again, going through Genesis in my quiet times, and I came to Abraham and Isaac. Do you remember when Abraham took Isaac, and he, um, God said, take your son, your only son, the son who you love. He's really rubbing it in, wasn't he? This only son of yours, I, uh, Abraham, take him and go and sacrifice him on the mountain I tell you of. So what does Abraham do? Straight away, it says, the next day, early in the morning, he takes his son and he goes. And you know what happens, how he ties up his son and he puts his son on the altar. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Taking his own son, ties him up, puts him on the altar, lifts up his knife and is about to plunge it into his own son when God speaks to him and stops him. What does God say to him? God says, now I know that you, what? Now I know that you fear 
me. Now I know that you fear me. You reverence me. Now I know that you have me up above everything else in your life. And this is what God sees about Noah. Noah is somebody who fears and reverences God. God has the correct position in his life. And Noah has the correct view in life. So easy, isn't it, to get bogged down by stuff around us, by this issue, by that issue, by the holiday that's maybe coming up, or whatever it is, or the washing machine that's broken down. And we, we look at the temporal stuff, and these things, are, they're not to be just ignored. You know, washing machines need to work, and it's good to have a break, and it's good to have a holiday, and all these types of things. But do you know what we do? We live for the here and now. We live and we focus our mind in on here and we don't live for what's coming. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, um, you know, as in the days of Noah, people will be eating and drinking and giving in marriage. Just life goes on as normal. Just full of just doing life. But their eyes not on eternity. We shouldn't fall into the same trap as them. We should follow Noah's example. Have God in his correct place and have our eyes on the future and be looking for what's coming. But as we read through and as we see this about Noah, a man who lived a different life, a holy life, a righteous life, we look at him and say, wow, that's wonderful. Look how we lived. It's an encouragement to us. It helps us get our perspective right and to focus on not this life now, what's coming. I don't even remember, a few, uh, when I was here last, I think it was, um, one evening, we were in the side room there, so it must have been you were still having this done up here, and I spoke on 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, and the verse says, therefore, we make it our aim, this is what Paul is saying, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be pleasing to him. Um, you may not have remembered what I spoke on, but that verse keeps on going on to say, knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord we persuade men. Paul was saying, look, in my life, the way that I live, the things that I focus on, because I know that judgment is real, because I know that people have to stand before God, because I know that hell is a reality and hell is eternal, that affects the way that I'm living now. And knowing the terror of the Lord, this is how I live. I persuade people. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, it says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Noah lived his life correctly, didn't he? But that's how we should be living. Let us serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, just like Noah. For our God is a consuming fire. Remember, this life is not all there is. There's an eternity, and God is serious about sin. Great encouragements from Noah. But as you keep reading through the life of Noah, and we, we haven't read these, these verses, but turn over to chapter 9. Noah, as well as being someone who was righteous 
was also someone who had his failings. And we can learn from them too, can't we? So chapter 9, verse 20. It says, Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. This is now after Noah has been through that whole flood experience and he's come out, and they come out into this new world, as it were. And it's just him and his family. A new start, a fresh start, and they go out. The pressure's now off, isn't it? He's not surrounded by all these people that are just so wicked and against God. It's a fresh start. The pressure's off. He'd managed to stand when the pressure was on. But now the pressure's off. Sadly, we see, he falls, he sins. He, he planted a vineyard. Nothing wrong in planting a vineyard. And he made some wine. And he, but the trouble was, he then got drunk. And as he was there in his tent, he was uncovered. He was, he was naked. And as you keep reading through the passage, um, we don't know exactly what happened, but Ham, his son, came in and he sees his father's nakedness. And he, what he did, what Ham did, whatever it was he did, was deeply disrespectful to Noah. So here is Noah. He sins, he gets drunk, and his sin then influences someone else, and they sin. And consequences came on the descendants of Ham uh, as a result. That's a warning to us, isn't it? Someone who stood so well, and now he sins and he fails. Let's not look back at our lives and say, oh, but look, look what I've done. My track record's fine. I don't need to worry about today or tomorrow, because look how I've lived. I've stood in temptation. I've resisted that. No, each day we need to be coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, I need your help today. Help me to stand today. Keep me clean. Keep me pure. May I not be a stumbling block for other people so that they fall into sin as well. And I'm looking to you. Thank you for keeping me in the past and I pray that you keep me now. Just like to read to you as we finish those verses that Stefan read to us at the beginning, just picking up on a few verses in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. You see, as we go through and we've looked at this evening, Noah is standing with God was right. He had a consistent life before other people. He had a close daily walk with God and he was obedient because he realised who God was and he realised what was coming. Let's just, in that light, just read a few verses. Uh, 2 Peter 3, verse 11. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, this is Peter saying, look, this is what's going to be happening. This is how you should be living. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking forward to what's going to happen in the future, how should you be living now? Verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Verse 17. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you fall 
from your own steadfastness. Here is Peter as he's writing. He's saying, look, this is what's coming. This is how you should be living. And beware. He could have said, remember Noah. Remember how he stood, but then he took his eyes off the ball and he sinned. Isn't that a warning for us? Well, I trust that as we've looked at the life of Noah, you've been able to see some parallels for yourself today. And uh, let's pray that God would help us to stand in this godless generation in which we do live today.